in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Read, listen to these words. You, you don't need necessarily read along, but um, as we prepare our hearts to worship this morning, I want you to think about what is being said here. It says, So then those who had received the Lord's word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It is a commitment to us as a body of believers, and I hope it's a commitment to you as well, that we'd be very serious about our faith, that we would be a people who are continually devoting ourselves. I don't know if this needs to be said, but certainly not by me. But I am going to say right now, because I just started it off like that. Well, that was a bad start. But if God were to meet us here today, if we had an appointment, 8.15, he'd be here. I wonder how many of us would be tardy. I know personally, I would get here early. I'd want to see what's going on. And we want to get the sense of church, of being a our opportunities to meet with God. That we would be prompt, that we would be there ready to worship. I think today you're going to learn something about worship that we've learned as we've learned from from the teaching of the Word of God, as we've learned from fellowship, as we've learned from communion, from prayer, and from giving. The whole idea of praise is an attitude. After a little while, after we have the privilege of listening to these dear people, I got to see them and listen to them last night. Just blessed my heart. Really blessed my heart. We're going to see a video later that's going to say everything. It's going to come from one of our congregational members, uh, two of them actually, Bonnie and Bill Rennie. We're going to get to see his heart. And I'm going to remind you, but I'm going to tell you again right now, but I'll remind you. Listen closely what he says through his hands. It has everything that I wanted to say in the message. It is really, he does what I do in a half an hour and two minutes, (laughs) just beautifully. Father, as we come before your throne of grace, we have the privilege of of honoring you with our hearts and our minds. And, And Father, I think, who are we? I mean, really, Father, how presumptuous to think that we can come before your throne of grace. And so, Lord, uh, we're not foolish. We do not try to come to you on our own merit. We come to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. We thank you for him and for all he means to us, Father. You've exalted his name, and we'll try to do the best we can to do the same. We'll try, Father God, with all of our hearts to be a people who are continually devoted to you, hopefully leading people to your Son so that none, as you desire, might perish, but all would come to an understanding 
to a repentance. We stand in awe of the one who is above every other name on the face of this earth. The one who has created us, allowed us to take this breath that we might in return praise you with it. Father, you give to us, so we give to you. This cycle of giving is never ending. It starts by the first breath we take. And Father, by your grace, it doesn't end by the last we take on this earth. It is only a beginning. A beginning to spend an eternity with the risen Savior, with our Father. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you and to honor your name the best we know how. We're mere human beings, Father. We are frail. We have a lot of things that, Father, uh, are just inadequate. And so, as I said before, I say again, we don't come on our own merit. We come because of your Son. And we expect, because of his righteousness added to us, you see us as people who were, are worthy at this moment to praise you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to make a, a couple of a, a short announcements, if I may, please. Um, the, uh, the marriage class uh, begins March the 10th on a Monday. It's going to be a 22-week series. It's an in-depth study on the roles of uh, the husband and the wife within marriage. As we've mentioned to you, it's, it's open for anyone and everyone to come. It is really, um, I, I don't know of anything that more displays who we are in this world in which we live if we're married. You know, by no means do we, do we say that married people are more important. In fact, singles are really the ones that God really uh, honors and, and, and gives them a call of being single. But to those of us who are married, one of the clearest ways we represent who Jesus Christ is by how we treat one another, how we treat our wives, how we treat our husbands, how we live within this whole idea of marriage. It's a very, very critical place in our life, and we think it's critical to the church. So we really encourage you to sign up for this class. It, uh, the registration begins this week. It's open through March the 6th, and the class, as I say to you, begins on the 10th. It's a 22 week um, in-depth study. And so I, I pray that you'll, uh, you'll take it serious to, to uh, be a part of that. The second thing I'd like to say is really uh, very important, of course. Uh, um, I'm going to take a moment and to, um, and to um, pray and, and let you know about Pastor Mike Miller. As you may or may not know, uh, he got into a serious car accident, accident quite a while ago, and he, and <clears throat> he has been unable to be in the office consistently since then, still in a lot of pain. We've been supporting him during this this time uh, as he attempts to recover. He is currently on medical medical leave, and he's seeking uh, treatment. And I know that the family is very thankful for your prayers, is very thankful for your well wishes. Uh, because of the uncertainty, though, of Pastor Mike and his ability to do what he is supposed to do here at church, we've, I've asked the staff to make some adjustments uh, to cover his responsibilities for the time. Uh, for instance, I've asked Pastor West to take on men's ministries so Pastor Fred could be freed up to help in the adult ministries, and one of them is the launching of the, uh, the marriage class. Both of those men have graciously agreed to carry on our vision of an Acts 2 church with, uh, within the confines of this place. So I'd like for you and me to take some time right now to pray for Pastor Mike and pray for his family. Um, 
just having a hard time getting well. And so would you pray with me, please? Father, we, um, we have the greatest privilege in the world. And that privilege is to come before your throne of grace. You've enabled us, because of your Son, Jesus Christ, to boldly and confidently come into your presence and to boldly and to confidently ask, Father, of prayer requests. And so we ask that you would be with Mike, be with his family, that you would watch over him and and heal him, Father, at your time. But we pray for his healing. I want to pray, Father, for the new ministries that are beginning up, classes that we begin, that we deem, Father, before you, we deem to be important, like a marriage class. We pray that it would really be something that would, would really benefit every single one of us. I know of no greater testimony that I have other than how I love my wife and my children. And so, Father, um, I believe this is a critical class. And so, Lord, we want to ask your blessings upon uh, Pastor Mike, his family, upon the things that we are doing and, and all that is going on here. May we, Father, by your grace, honor you. May we do nothing here, Father, that doesn't honor you. And if we, by some accident, do so, may we stop it immediately so as to honor you with all of our lives. So bless this time. Bless this message we're about to to uh, encounter about worship and praise. And bless this time we're going to take to, to see what, uh, what Bill and Bonnie Rennie has to, have to say. It's, uh, it is quite impacting. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What I would love for you to do right now is to just empty yourself of your thoughts and watch this video. Uh, David Briggs uh, does the videos for us, and he uses... Now, we've used different people from our congregation to talk about the teaching of the Word of God, about what fellowship truly means, about what the whole idea of communion is about. We talked about prayer, and we now talk about giving. Now we're going to take a look at what worship is, praise. And listen, listen to the heart of Bill Rennie. I think it will impact you far more than anything that I might say So let's watch this uh, a couple minutes of video, please. Praise the Lord when he answers my prayer. It's so awesome that the Lord answers my prayers. When I pray and nothing happens, I still praise him. It's such a blessing to have my family and my the love of my family and my kids and the Lord. And second of all, my pastor John Warehouse, he'd come up to me and he'd sign I love you. And that's very inspirational too to have him do that. I just praise the Lord for that. I express it in sign. This, this sign means praise the Lord. 
But the sign itself, it's not what it is. It's how you feel and how you think, and it's all through your heart. Even though you're hearing or deaf or blind or crippled, you express it through your heart. His grace. Praising the Lord in private. Maybe you're in the shower or at church worshiping or at Bible study and there's people there, an audience there. You can praise the Lord everywhere, everywhere, at the movies, at Starbucks. We're just praising the Lord. Everywhere you can express that. God loves to hear and listen your words everywhere you go. And where you are, wherever you are. Amen. Made me cry last night. Made me cry this morning. I would, um, I would love to know the inside more of that man. Um, I'm very impressed with him. The more I get to know him, um, I want to learn how to praise. You know, I want to learn how to sign. And I love his shower. I got that. <laughs> I, I would love to learn just to be able to communicate with him and to see all that's inside. He said what I would like to say, not knowing what I was going to prepare. He said that you can praise the Lord not so much by what you say, but your heart. Not so, matter, not so much where you are, but your attitude. You see, the whole idea of praise, as I'm going to try and teach, is not so much here at church. Of course it should be here. Of course we should gather together collectively and take this time to praise the Lord. But it happens everywhere in your life, no matter what you're doing. Wherever you are, you have the opportunity to praise the Lord. You see, it fits right in line. This is a a perfect closure to an Acts 2 church. An Acts 2 church must understand what the Word of God says because then we have no idea what God really wants of us. Oh, you can listen and you can hear on radio. You can watch and see on, listen on television. You can hear different points of view of what God really wants from us. But I'm here to say to you, unless you understand what the Bible has to say, unless you understand what the Bible teaches you have no idea really what it means to praise the Lord and to honor Him. And so we must begin by understanding His Word. And then as, as it, it took place in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says then we have, to, we have to have fellowship with one another, but fellowship isn't like this time of enjoying one another, which it, that is a part of it. But really fellowship, as you and I learned, is partnering It is the sharing of our individual spiritual gifts that we give back to the Lord so that we might equip one another. That's the whole purpose of our gathering together. So that we might equip each other so as to do the work of service. Whatever that is, 
whatever that means, whatever God would lead us to do as a church, we would equip each other to do the work of service so as ultimately we would do what God would want us to do, and that is to build up the body of Christ. And that's his job. He will do that in and through your life and my life if we just are obedient to him. He makes that promise to us. It says in in the end of Acts chapter 2 in the 47th verse, he added to their number daily those who are being saved. That's his job. Our job is to honor him. Honor him through his word. Honor him through fellowship. In other words, partnering with one another so as to do the things he's called us to do, equipping each other so that we would have communion with him. That is the remembrance, the, the remembrance of what he did on the cross so that we might have our sins forgiven, more importantly, so that we would forgive the sins of one another because we're human beings and we're going to fall short and we're going to hurt each other's feelings, hopefully never on purpose. But if and when we do, we need to ask for forgiveness and accept forgiveness and then we need to learn to pray, and that is by lifting up the holy and righteous name of our God. We learn how to pray so as to not so much ask what we want, but because he already knows what you already want. He already knows it. Our trust in prayer, our job in prayer, is to lift up the righteous and holy name of our God. And all of this takes place within the confines of the church when we give. But we learn that we give not out of, out, of, out of a demand. You don't have to give a penny here to be right with God, nor to have fellowship with us. You need to give when you feel within your heart that free will offering, not a, under compulsion or under any grudgingly give. Give only what you are able to give. But give freely from your own heart unto the Lord, giving to him a portion of what he has given to you. And so we've learned about these things. And so today we open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Probably the most concise place about praise and worship is found in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. If we can understand these two verses, I think we have a leg up on understanding what it means to honor and to praise and to worship our God. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 1, I urge you, brethren, don't go any further than that for the moment. I urge you means he is pleading with you. He is pleading with you, brethren. He is talking to the family of God. I urge you, Brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Another translation reads and says it a little more in depth, saying, which is the only kind of worship which is truly spiritual. It is that worship that is living. It is where we present our bodies living and holy, acceptable to God. Paul says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. So Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't shape your life to meet the fashions of this world. There are trends and there are styles in this world and they're going to continue to change. But our God is the same yesterday as he is today as he will be forever. Forever. 
And so don't try to conform yourself to this world. Rather, be transformed. How? He says, by the renewing of our minds. Paul says, pure and simple, present your bodies to God. Present your bodies to God, a living and holy sacrifice, which is the true service of worship. And so in essence, what Paul is teaching us is there is no more basic demand upon a Christian's life than presenting ourselves to God daily in worship to him. I turn back with you, if you don't mind, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, where, where Paul writes, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord rather than for men. Knowing, he says in verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you and I serve. Really, that word serve, as we're going to see in a moment, means worship. Father, how can we understand these things unless you teach us? How can we come to grasp the fullness of of what you say that we're to be like, continually devoting ourselves to your teaching, to your fellowship, to communion and prayer and and giving of our finances and our time and our talent back unto you, Father, a portion of what you've given to us. And ultimately, Father, how can we understand what true worship and praise is unless we hear it from your heart? So, Father, please... Open up our minds and our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, your word. Move me aside. Please, dear Father, I beg of you, move me aside. Let us see and hear from your heart to our hearts. As Bill Rennie said, praise and worship is not so much the words that we say. It is more the attitude the attitude of our hearts, which falls right in line, Father, with giving. It's not so much that we have to give, it's our attitude when we give. And so, Father, please teach us. I pray this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen. There is a rub to all of this, and it's clear to see. You'll see it very, very, very clearly in a moment. As a matter of fact, I'll prepare you to turn to John chapter 8. We're going to jump around a little bit. The rub is that most people do not realize that no matter what you do, no matter where you are, whether you're conscious of it or not, every single person on the face of this earth is either serving or worshiping someone. Whether they know it or not. Someone is being served by your actions daily. Do you remember, I tell you, that I bought, and I have a very inexpensive watch. I love this watch. It's my favorite watch. I have somebody, my son gave me a very expensive watch. And, and my daughter gave me a very expensive watch. They, they, my son bought his watch when he was on vacation and gave it to me. And my daughter bought a watch for me and gave it to me. I don't know why, they, but they've given me watches. And then another person gave me a watch. This watch I bought at Target. For, for uh, It was on sale for 5 or $6, I don't remember. And I told him, I, I, I went in there and I told him exactly what I wanted. I wanted a watch that beeped. 
I want a watch that beep. The other watches that I have that are a little more expensive, they don't beep. The reason I have a watch that beeps is not to tell me that it's 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock. I wear a watch that beeps to ask me the question every hour, how are you living for me right now? That's why I wear a watch. Now I am, you know, I guess at any time, I don't know how to say it. I love to be on time. I love time. But I don't wear a watch to tell me what time it is. When my watch beeps, I am automatically reminded in my heart to ask myself, how am I serving the Lord or worshiping the Lord with what I'm doing right now? And sometimes I'm very happy to say I'm doing okay. And other times I'm, I'm very ashamed to tell you that I can't believe how far I have strayed in one hour. Our lives ought to be consumed with trying to understand who we serve. And it's interesting, a while ago I heard the rumor, a long time ago, heard the rumor that... Uh, Bob Dylan, the, the songwriter, singer, if you can call that singing. Uh, I well, who am I? Who am I? You know, I just dawned on me, boy, is that a pot calling a kettle black? But he, he supposedly uh, came to believe in Jesus Christ. I, uh, I said then and I say now, you, you've got to watch people before you anoint them as believers. You've got to see what's in their hearts. But he wrote a song that was right dead on. And the title of the song was, You Gotta Serve Somebody. Dr. McGee puts it this way, you're either a saint or you ain't. Jesus Christ came upon a group of very religious people, very religious people, self-righteous. In John chapter 8, and in, starting in verse 38, Jesus Christ came to them and tried to approach them with the facts of who he was and who he is. And he said to them in verse 38, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Okay, let's stop. He has just put, he's put people into two different camps, if you would. They speak the things they heard from their father, he is speaking the things he heard from his father. They understood what he said. And so in verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus stopped them and said, If you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, he says in verse 40, You are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I have heard from God. This Abraham didn't do. Abraham didn't try to kill me. He says in verse 41, you are doing the deeds of your father. They understood what he was saying and they said, we're not born in fornication. They took it down to a gut level. They took it down to a dirty level in the streets vernacular. They said, everybody has heard about you, Jesus. You have a mother, but we don't know who your dad is. Nobody knows who your dad is. We're not born of fornication, they say. We have one father, 
God. Now listen. Listen to what Jesus says. These men were as religious as they came. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. Because I proceed forth and I have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative. He sent me. Why don't you understand what I am saying, he asks them. Is it because you can't hear my words? And then Jesus lays this statement upon them. You talk about wanting to start a street fight. He says, you, in verse 44, are of your father, the devil. You tell me I'm born of fornication, he says. You are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father, he says in verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in the truth. Because, he says, there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own nature. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. True to the single statement that I made just a moment ago. It's a single truth. You and I are always every moment of our lives serving, worshiping someone. If it's not ourselves, if it's not our jobs, if it's not whatever, or is it the Lord? That's a choice that you and I must make. It's a choice that we must make in our own hearts and in our own lives of how do we want to worship and praise the Lord? What kind of believers in Jesus Christ do we really want to become? Do we want to be a people who are continually devoting ourselves to the things of God? With every moment, with every breath of your, ta- of your life, with every action you make and I make, as Jesus said, if you are not consciously serving and loving him, then you are serving something and someone else. The psalmist writes in Psalms 150, if you want to, you may turn there. We're going to look at all the whole psalm. But it's all about praise. It's all about worship. It's kind of a slam dunk on praising God. The psalmist writes in Psalms 150, verse 1 through 6. In verse 1 he says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Verse 2 says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Verse 3 says, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Verse 4 says, pray him with tremble and dancing and praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Yeah, even verse 5, praise him with a loud cymbal. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Ultimately, we are commanded, as it says in verse 6, let everything that has breath, what? Praise the Lord. Double emphasis. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Whenever you see something repeated, when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, listen closely. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He is saying, let everything that has breath praise me. And that is not a moment time, but we do it in an hour on Sunday morning. It is not just a church thing. It is a lifelong process to be a people who are continually devoting ourselves to love the Lord. There's nothing worse to me, 
I, I shouldn't say it so strongly, but I guess I started it. There's nothing worse to me than people that are really religious. I mean, really so, so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. There is nothing wrong with having fun on this earth, enjoying the very essence of who we are. But while you're having fun, you can praise the Lord. We can praise the Lord in anything, in everything that we do. It doesn't have to be here on our knees praying, but that's part of it. But it's not all of it. It's enjoying Wow. It's enjoying company with your children. It's enjoying, it's It's enjoying the intimacy with your wife or your husband. It's the It's just the pure joy of laughter. It's lifting weights. If I'd ever get there and do it, buddy, it's working out. It's presenting our bodies unto the Lord in whatever we do. Wherever you go, your life, your passion ought to be to praise the Lord. Now, hopefully you're not going to be a crybaby and and cry all the time, because what will people think of you then? But, but you should have an attitude of praise. And don't allow yourself to wander too long without checking how are you doing. We are commanded to praise the Lord in all that we have, in all that we are. And our bodies belong to God. We have been told that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so just as much as our soul belongs to Him, so does our bodies. Paul says, take your body, take this physical body that God has given you, take all the tasks that you do every day, the ordinary work that you do, your schooling, your play, Whatever you do, do your work, do your play, do your living heartily as unto the Lord rather than for man. And offer, offer all that you are as an act of worship to your God. You see, the word worship in, back in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, it has a very interesting history if you study the word. Most of you are not into this, me neither, but thank God. There are brilliant men who write commentaries so that you can, you can find out truth from them. The word for worship there in, in Romans 12.1 is in the Greek, L-A-T-R-E-I-A. And every time I do this, Jimmy Campanis, I think of you. Every time I think of you. Because he's Greek. The noun to the verb is L-A-T-R-E-U-E-I-N. It probably means means nothing to you, it means nothing to me, as I don't know Greek language. But originally this word meant to work for hire, to serve there, meant to worship or to work for hire. It was used of someone who gave their time and their efforts to make money. Later it became a word with the idea of not just simply working for hire, but it came to mean um, serving. 
ultimately, as we understand the word today, it came to mean solely the act of service or worship unto God. And then when we read it today, it means to service or to worship the Lord our God. So, true worship, that word in Romans 12.1, came to mean the offering of our everyday life, regardless of what we are doing, offering it to God. So a person might say, I'm going to church to worship. But in reality, you and I can say, I'm going to work today to worship. I'm going to play today to worship. I'm going to the office today that I might worship the Lord. I'm going to school today that I might worship the Lord. I'm doing work in my garden today so that I might worship the Lord. All that I do, all that I am, every part of my being is to worship the Lord my God. True worship is not designated just to church. True worship came to mean a way of living, a way of life. For this to consciously happen, Paul states in verse 2 of Romans 12, verse 2, you and I must not be conformed to this world. That's so important. We need to be transformed from it. Paul says, to worship and to serve God, we must undergo a change, a transformation, he calls it. Not outwardly, not so much outwardly. It is exactly what Bill Rennie taught when he said, when he signed, that when, this I think he said meant praise. Is that right? I thought I saw Bonnie. This he said meant praise. It's not so much what you say, it's more what you feel from within It's not something that that happens out here. It happens more in here. It happens as an act of attitude, of, of, of kindness, of graciousness, of love unto the Lord your God. And so what is that change? It's to live a Christ-centered life. And how do you do that? Well, I am here to tell you what I've told you over and over again. That can only happen when you and I start to renew our minds. As, as Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, we're, to, we're, to conf- we're not to conform our lives to this world. We're to transform it. And the way you and I will transform ourselves to be a people who worship God 24-7 is to renew our minds You see, the word for renewal in the Greek is A-N-A-K-A-I-O-S-I-S. It's broken into two different words. One is neos, N-E-O-S. The other is K-A-I-N-O-S. Neos means new at a point of time, like rebirth. I became new, a new creature. I became a new person on March the 12th, 1973. That happened instantly. That happened the moment I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life, to forgive me of my sin, and to make me into the type of person that He so desired for me to become. That was new. I was a newborn creature. Out of my own will, I asked Jesus Christ into my life. I became new at a point in time. My time was March the 12th, 1973. The other part of that word renewal is K-A-I-N-O-S. It means new in a point of character or nature. That only happens by choice. Hear me now. 
To become a new creature in Christ is instantaneous. It is a moment in time, the moment you ask Christ into your heart. And you ask him into your heart one time, and that's all you need to do. But this other newness that happens within your heart and my heart is a point of character. It's a point of nature. It means there has to be a transformation within us that only happens by choice. And you and I must individually choose to renew our minds and it doesn't happen by osmosis. It only happens by, wouldn't you know it, by understanding and knowing the Word of God. This is what will change your life. This and this alone. So churches that open the door and don't allow you to open your Bible and study it line upon line are doing you the most terrible disservice. We must know the Word of God because the Word of God is the only source, the only source, folks, that can change your attitude, that can change your character, that can change your nature. The newness you have once you come to Christ, that's God's business. After that, the rest is our choice to become new creatures. And once Jesus Christ comes into your heart and my heart, then He allows the Holy Spirit to change us. That's why I ask him to move me aside. I can't change a soul here. I'm having enough trouble with myself. And so I ask the Lord to do what only he can do in your life and my life. And that's to make us new creatures. That, that is to make us desire to change. Look, close. let's close in, in, in John chapter 16. We'll close there and then Craig is going to come up and, and lead us in, in a last song of worship. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus Christ says, I, I tell you the truth. Now look, at, that's amazing to me. Jesus cannot lie, but he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. That is like truly, truly. I mean, that's like, whoa. What he's about to say is extremely important here. He says, it's to your advantage, verse 7 of John 16, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because, he says, if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, he will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's a whole study that we ought to do someday when we study the book of John. But he names what it is. Concerning sin, he says, it's because they don't believe in me. You know what sin is? Sin isn't out carousing, drinking, and doing all those things that most people think sin is. Sin is, pure and simple, not believing in Jesus Christ. All the other things are just things. They're just sin that we have within us. Real sin is not believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Concerning sin, verse 9, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you'll no longer see me. He is the righteous one who sits on the right hand of God. And concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged already. God's already taken care of the business here on this earth. It's over and done with. It is a done deal. It is finished. Satan has lost. And he has no hope to win. His only hope is to drag and take as many as he can with him to hell. Your job and my job, should you accept it. What is that? In that? That's in that Mission Impossible thing. That's our job, should we accept it. Our job is to take as many people as we can to heaven. 
to lead as many people as we can to our Savior. How? Best way I know is letting them observe us. The only way that they can observe us with any integrity is that we would want to live our lives 24-7 honoring the Lord. Maybe you two should get a watch that beeps or something. Something that reminds you of how are you doing right now with the Lord. If someone were watching you, would you be leading them towards your Savior or away from Him? That's a whole other thing. And so he says, verse 12, I have... Many more things to say to you, but I can't, you cannot hear them now. But when He, when the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He's going to guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. That word glorify there means serve, that means worship. He will worship me, for He will take of mine, and disclose it to you. Listen, church, please. When Jesus Christ becomes the center of your life and my life, through his word, then you and I can present to him true worship on a daily basis, which is the offering of every moment that we draw breath, every action that we take every day of our lives to honor and to worship the Lord our God for one reason and one reason only. He is worthy. I want you to believe that with all your heart. I want us to become an Acts 2 church. The cherry on the top of the cake is worship. To have an attitude 24-7 of loving the Lord and worshiping Him no matter what you may be doing. Father, we thank You for the privilege that You have given to us that we might, by choice, choose to transform ourselves, renewing our minds so that we might live honoring You, worshiping You all day long. 